Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So we have been uh, in this series, What is a Christian? And this is our fifth and final week. We've been asking, really, like, what is core, right? What is, what is basic to the identity of a follower of Jesus? What is a Christian? And whether you're uh, searching uh, this thing called Christianity out for the first time, you're, you're new uh, to it and, and trying to figure out if you believe it, that this is a great thing to be asking, right? What is a Christian and, 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 and am I one and do I believe that? Or, or if you're new to Christianity and haven't been a Christian very long, it's good to lay a foundation, a strong foundation, right, on which to build your life following Christ. But, but also if you've been a Christian for a long time, these, these things that we're talking about are not just things that, truths that you learn once and then move on uh, from. You are constantly revisiting and constantly renewing your understanding of who am I? What is my core identity as a follower of Jesus? What is a Christian? So we've said a Christian is, uh, the first week, is a child of God, right? Someone who's been adopted by the Father. You're a child uh, of God. That's not something that happens naturally. It happens through the grace of Jesus Christ. You're a child of God, but a Christian is also, we said, a, a brother or a sister. You're, you're, not, a, a single, uh, you're, you're not a single kid, right? Um, you're not an only child. You have a family of which you are a part. Uh, you have brothers and sisters. Um, a, a Christian is a worshiper, um, someone who uh, worships uh, particularly gathered worship on the Lord's day. And then last week we said a Christian is a disciple, someone who follows Jesus and learns the way uh, of Jesus. Um, so for this fifth and final week, we're, we were thinking, what is a Christian? We initially had the word written down, missionary. A Christian is a missionary. But we know that that word uh, comes with a lot of preconceived notions, maybe even some baggage. Uh, and it might surprise you to find out that the word missionary is never used in the Bible. Not once do you find the word missionary in the Bible. The Bible does describe, however, the concept of being a missionary in various ways and uses different words. And one word that the Apostle Paul uses is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says, what is a Christian? A Christian is an ambassador. Christian is an ambassador. So I'm going to read it for us. If you're willing and able, would you stand? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 14. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word. For the Father's glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14. Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. You may be seated, please. So if you're a watcher of the Netflix series, The Crown, uh, you might remember that in uh, season one of that show, it's, it's, it's following the life of Queen Elizabeth II, and there's an episode where uh, Queen Elizabeth goes away uh, on a trip, and she leaves her sister, Princess Margaret, in charge as her representative uh, for her royal uh, responsibilities. And uh, Margaret is not too happy, really, with how her sister is ruling as queen. And so uh, during her time uh, while the queen is away, uh, she uh, is, really speaks her mind. She jokes around a lot. She even disrespects some of the uh, dignitaries, uh, the other dignitaries. And so Prime Minister Winston Churchill uh, comes to the princess in order to, uh, to talk to her about some of these things. And, and, and he says to her, uh, your highness, when you appear in public performing official duties, you are not you. She says, what do you, of course I'm me. What? He says, the crown. People are coming to see the crown, not you. You represent the crown. You see, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, you are a representative of King Jesus. You are an ambassador for Christ. When people interact with you, they're supposed to see Jesus. When people talk to you, they're supposed to hear Jesus. Next week, we're going to preach through the, uh, begin preaching through the book of Acts. Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who was a physician and a companion of Paul. And Acts is really the continuance of what uh, Jesus did in the Gospels. So in the Gospels, Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he raises from the dead, he then ministers uh, to his disciples and ascends back 
to the right hand uh, of the Father in heaven. And in, uh, in Acts 1, Luke writes, he says, uh, in my first book, I have dealt with, that's the gospel of Luke, in my first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Implying what? All that Jesus began to do means that he's, he's still doing, right? He's still acting. He's still at work. Even though he's gone back to the Father in heaven, how is that true? How can Jesus still be at work even though he's gone back to heaven? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit, but it's not just the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit through who? Through the disciples, right? Through his people. Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. What is a Christian? A Christian is an ambassador. You know, companies today hire social media ambassadors, people whose job it is to love the brand and wear the brand and hype the brand, right? That's, that's not really the kind of ambassador that Paul has in mind here. The kind of ambassador that he's talking about is a royal envoy, someone who is a representative of the sovereign uh, from whom they are coming. They, they speak and they act with an authority and power that is not their own. Paul was an ambassador for Christ. He was an apostle. But ambassadors for Christ uh, are not just relegated to apostles, right? Uh, you don't, it's not just for the professional Christians, for the pastors and the missionaries. Um, no, we are all ambassadors for Christ. Because the same Holy Spirit that lived in the Apostle Paul is the same Holy Spirit who lives in me, and he lives also in each of you. Um, you are an ambassador. You are one of Jesus's representatives in the world. Now, already I know, because I felt this myself, that you could already be feeling discouraged and defeated because you might be thinking, I'm not, I'm not a very good ambassador. I'm not a very good representative of Jesus, right? I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Listen, I'll tell you, if I had a dollar for every time that I missed an opportunity or every time that I embarrassed Jesus, I would be a wealthy man. So maybe we can learn together. Maybe we can start afresh this morning together. I want us to consider three things about um, being an ambassador for Christ, right? The message, the motivation, and the ministry. The message, the motivation, and the ministry. What, why, and how. You see it there on your sermon uh, outline. You've got first the what, the message. Paul says that as ambassadors, we have been entrusted with the message. He calls it the message of reconciliation. What is the message of reconciliation. Well, it's another way of saying the gospel. We have been entrusted with the gospel. So what is this gospel that we've been entrusted with? I want to give you a really simple way to communicate the gospel. Okay, here it is. We lost it all. He did it all. We get it all. We lost it all. He did it all. We get it all. Okay. We lost it all. Our 
first parents, Adam and Eve, had paradise. They had the love of the Father who created them. But then they believed the lie that they could do life without God. And everyone since has believed that same lie, that I can do life without my creator. The fallen human condition is that we live life for ourselves. The soundtrack of our lives could be Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. The Bible calls our rebellion sin, and because of sin, because of our trespasses, we are, as the reformer Martin Luther said, uh, incurvatus and say, we are curved in on ourselves. We no longer live um, outward. We live inward for self rather than outward for God and for others. C.S. Lewis, when he was describing himself before he became a Christian, uh, he said this, he said, what mattered most of all to me was my deep seated hatred of authority, my monstrous individualism and lawlessness. No word in my vocabulary expressed deeper hatred than the word interference. Don't interfere with me, God, right? Um, we try to do life without God. That is, that is our fallen condition. My kids have uh, fallen in love with this series of movies called The Descendants, and The Descendants, is, it's a Disney series, and it's all about the children of famous Disney villains. So you've got the, the child of Corella DeVille, and the child of Maleficent, and the child of uh, Captain Hook. Uh, and so um, at one, of the, one of the recurring themes, the constant themes throughout the, the series that they sing is, um, we are rotten to the core. We're rotten to the core. No matter, no matter what they do, no matter kind of what takes place, they, they can't really escape that that's who they are deep down. They're rotten to the core. Well, that's who we are outside of Christ, right? We're rotten to the core. Um, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Because of our sin and rebellion, there's alienation, right? There's a wall, there's a division um, between us and God. Um, Alienation, alienation from others, but most importantly, alienation from God. We lost it all. We lost fellowship with God. We became his enemy. And nothing we can do, no good works, uh, no performance can fix it. Before a holy and righteous God, we stand guilty condemned and damned. We lost it all. But he did it all. He did it all. In the ancient world, if, if there was enmity between mankind and the gods, then it was uh, on men, right? It was on people to, to take the initiative. Um, the only way reconciliation was made is if humans sought the favor of the gods. But the Christian God is different. Even though he is the grieved party, he initiates. He takes the initiative. Paul says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. All this is from him. Think about that. If you have an estranged couple, or if you have two companies that are in a dispute, it very often takes a third party 
to seek reconciliation, but not with God. There's no third party. God himself uh, initiates. The scandal of the gospel is that the offended goes on the offense. How? Verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the mo- one of the most amazing verses in the whole Bible. Like, I mean, um, tattoo it on your arm and wear sleeveless shirts for the rest of your life, right? 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who is that? Who is is that talking? He made him who knew no sin. Who is that? Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. God does not count our trespasses against us because he counted them against Jesus. He made him to be sin for us. One died for all, the innocent one for the guilty ones. James Denny says this, he says, there on the cross, while we stand and gaze at him, he is not simply a person doing us a service. He is a person doing us a service by filling our place and dying our death. The message of the gospel is that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son Jesus to be our substitute. All this is from God. It was his initiative, not ours. He did it all. So then, we get it all. We get it all. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when you believe in Christ, not only does he take your sin but you get his righteousness. It's the great swap, right? Your sin goes to Jesus, his righteousness goes to you. Your sins are forgiven, and so then you are covered. You get credit for all that he did, all of his obedience, so that when God looks at you, he sees you wrapped in Christ's perfection, in his righteousness. The Bible calls it justification, right? You've been justified in Christ. Y'all, I can't explain to you how crazy, this is how crazy this is. Do you know what this means? This means that terrorists can be loved by God. If they put their faith in Jesus, he takes away their sins and covers them in his righteousness, then they have the same standing before God that we do. That's the, that's the scandal of the gospel, right? The power uh, of what God has done. By the way, who do you think the Apostle Paul was? He was a religious terrorist, right? He hunted and persecuted Christians, but then he had an encounter with the risen Lord uh, and um, said uh, of himself, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the biggest. We contribute nothing to our salvation. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We lost it all, but he did it all, so we get it all. This message is is truly revolutionary. You think of um, uh, Copernicus, 
right? And uh, what was Copernicus's um, contribution to the world? Well, he came along and said, when all the world thought that um, the earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around the earth, Copernicus said, guys, I think that's actually not the case. Um, I think maybe uh, the sun is the center and, um, and he, he got skewered for that, right? Um, uh, but, he, but he kept insisting on that, that this is the truth. And uh, as we look back in history, um, what, what is it called? It's called the Copernican Revolution. It revolutionized uh, science um, uh, just, just by that simple fact. Um, well, what is the gospel? What is the good news of the gospel? What makes it revolutionary? This message that Jesus is the center of the universe. The sun is the center of the universe. That life isn't about you, it's about him and what he's done. Right? It, it, the gospel moves us from egocentricity to Christocentricity. And so that's why Paul says here, what, what is the result of the gospel? So that those who live might not, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have been trusted with the message of reconciliation. But what is our, what is our motivation for proclaiming this message? That's the second point. What should motivate us to share with others the gospel good news. Look again at what Paul says in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Or some versions say, for the love of Christ compels us. That, that word, controls, compels, it's, uh, that word's used elsewhere in uh, Luke chapter 8, where Jesus is... Uh, is, is walking through and he's through a crowd. He's surrounded by a throng of people. And there's a woman who's been diseased and sick. And she thinks, if I could just get to Jesus and touch his garment. And she, she makes her way through the crowd and she, she grabs a hold of his garment and, um, and is healed. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And, and, and his disciples are like, uh, you know, finally Peter says, Master, I mean, we're surrounded by people. We're surrounded by crowds. They're all pressing in on us. There's that word, pressing in. Paul says, I'm, I'm pressed. The, the, the love of Christ presses me. Almost like if you're in a crowd and you can't help. It's no, there's no option. You have to move with where the crowd is moving. The love of Christ controls me. It compels me. It presses me. There's no other option. It is my motivation. There, there are, however, two ways to read the phrase, the love of Christ. I'm going to try and say it and see if you can hear it. Um, so, is it the love of Christ controls me, or is it the love of Christ controls me? In other words, is Paul saying, is it Paul's love for Jesus, or is it Jesus' love for him, is it the love of Christ that controls me, or is it the love of Christ um, that controls him? Do we serve him? Is that the primary motivation? Is it our love, or is it his love? If certainly, Paul loved Jesus, right? We serve him because we love him. But what does John remind us in 1 John 4:19? We love because he first loved us. It is Christ's 
love for us that is primary, right? His love motivates and empowers our love, motivates and empowers us to be his ambassadors, especially when it's hard, right? Especially when it's uh, dangerous or unpopular or tiring because our love for Christ waxes and wanes. But his love for us is as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, never ending, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever. That's where the power comes from. That's our motivation. In, uh, in Atlanta, there's a charter school and uh, fourth graders there start their day the same way every day. Their teacher uh, holds up a mirror um, and uh, with, with the sign on it that says, I am. And they stand before the mirror and make these declarations. Uh, students say, I am smart. I am beautiful. I am a good person. I am enough. And for some of these kids, it's actually a good thing, right, to... to um, to learn a, a degree of self-esteem, right? Because, they've, because they don't have any. But, but as you go further along in life, you realize that, that self-esteem, right? You gotta love yourself. That self-esteem only gets you so far, right? Uh, self-esteem breaks down because you realize that's not really true. Uh, as much as I say it and as much as I declare it. Um, but one kid, Nine-year-old um, Rochelle Blakely, and the video I watched of this, when she stood up to speak before the mirror, she said, I am loved. I am cared for because I'm getting adopted today. You see, her, her sense of self and motivation came not from her love for herself, but from the love she had received from someone else. You're loved. You've been adopted. It's the love of God, the love of Christ that is our motivation. To be an effective ambassador for Christ, we have to get his love deep down in our souls. It has to become the controlling narrative, the controlling truth about who we are. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life now that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's who I am. I'm someone who God loved. Uh, Adam has used this illustration before about when you have water, and you want to get water from one place to another, you have a couple of ways that you can do that. One way is you can use a pipe, right? And so you can run water through a pipe to get it from point A to point B. Um, when you do that, how is the pipe affected by the water? It's not, right? The water just runs through it. The pipe stays what it is. Um, it remains unaffected. But there's another way to get water from point A to point B. It's by digging a ditch. And how do ditches work? Ditches work by first having to be soaked and filled. And then out of the, the overflow of that, water runs through it. You see, you've got to get the love of Christ in you, not just through you, but in you. You've got to soak it up so that then you can, out of that overflow, give it to others. 
Look at this quote from N.T. Wright. He says, the gospel is not just a mechanism for getting people saved. It is the announcement of a love that has changed the world. A love, therefore, that takes the people who find themselves loved like this and sends them off to live and work in a totally new way. The energy to get up and go on as a Christian, as one who shares the gospel, therefore, comes not from a cold sense of duty, not from fear of being punished if you don't do your bit, but from the warm-hearted response of love to the love which has reached out, reached down, and reached you. So when we have the right message and the right motivation, then we're ready to put it into practice in ministry. That's the third point, ministry. Paul says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, the reconciled become reconcilers. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You know, one of the things that's um, true about an ambassador is that an ambassador is always on their job, right? Whether they're at the office or at the embassy or just walking down the street, an ambassador is always an ambassador because that's who they are. That's their identity. Well, you are a representative of Jesus at all times, whether you're at work or at the grocery store or on the soccer field or at the doctor's office. It's who you are. So what is this ministry that we're supposed to have, this ministry of reconciliation, what does it look like? Well, it starts with how we regard people, Paul says. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. He said, we used to regard Christ that way, but no longer do we regard him thus. What does it mean to regard people according to the flesh? It means to look at people and to judge people the way that the world judges people. The world judges by appearances and status. Paul says, I once judged Jesus that way. I, I thought he was weak, right? Who dies like a criminal on a cross? But then Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and Jesus changed his vision to see differently. Ambassadors of Christ see people differently from how the world sees them. We see all people as equally important to God and equally in need of the gospel. The world favors the rich and the connected and the important and the powerful, but God loves to lift up the poor and the broken and the downcast. We had a service uh, here last weekend for Debbie Hoffmeyer, and um, one of the stories that was told about um, Debbie and her husband Ross is that um, their whole time that, that they were married uh, and their whole life as a family, they had people in their home constantly. They had people living with them all the time. And, uh, and you think, gosh, that's really sweet, you know, hospitality. Um, but not, this is like not the hospitality that we show, right? This is, they had people, they had the poor in their house. They had people who were drug addicts. They had people who had been uh, in prison, people who were sick. Um, and, uh, and, and so much so that the, the nickname for their house was the Hoffmeyer Hotel, right? Because they saw people differently. They saw people as Jesus um, saw them and uh, welcomed them in. We regard no one according to the flesh. 
and we declare the good news to everyone. Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Notice he doesn't say reconcile yourselves to God. He says, be reconciled to God. It's, it's passive. Um, he says, uh, we declare to the world that God has acted, right? Be reconciled to God. The work has been done. It is finished. Be reconciled to God means receive what he has accomplished. As ambassadors of Christ, we're not carrying with us good advice. We're carrying with us good news. God has done something. Be reconciled to him. We're not inviting people into a religion. We are inviting people into a restored relationship. Come back to God. Run home to the Father. In, uh, you know, one of the things um, that we've all watched in Afghanistan is, uh, um, that's been so disheartening, right, is that all, all the work that was done, all the uh, lives that were, were given uh, to try and get uh, this, uh, this country into a good place, um, just, just seemingly overnight, uh, was, um, was undone by the Taliban taking over and, uh, you know, the, the inglorious end um, to our uh, retreating from there really made it feel like, you know, um, when, when 9-11 happened and when the war on terror started, there was this sense of we're going to win this war. And yet 20 years later, even though we've technically withdrawn from Afghanistan, it feels like the war hasn't ended. Right? And the war on terror is still ongoing. It's because in this world, you can't declare that the war is ever over. What's our job as followers of Jesus, as ambassadors of Christ? Our job is not to convert anyone. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to go and declare the war is over. The hostility between God and man has been dealt with at the cross. The war is truly over. Come home to God. Be reconciled to God. Receive what he has done. And when the Holy Spirit does that, when he moves in a person, the most incredible thing happens. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love the way that Philip Edgecombe Hughes says it. He says, a Christian is a new creation, a reborn microcosm belonging to the eschatological macrocosm of the new heavens and the new earth. Read it again, because there's some big words in there. Um, a Christian is a new creation, a reborn microcosm belonging to the, the final, the eschatological macrocosm of the new heavens and the new earth. When we read about new creation here, this language reminds us of God's overarching mission to restore not just people, but the whole cosmos to make all things new. So what does this mean? It means that as ambassadors of Christ, our deeds are just as important as our words. Because our deeds show the totality of God's reconciliation. 
how we work, how we create, how we raise our kids, how we interact with the culture says something about the one we represent. It says that he cares about the world that he created, not just our souls. So as uh, and Tish Warren, in her book, Prayer in the Night, she tells of a friend named Noel. She says, one friend Noel has trained and studied for decades to be among a few dozen doctors in the United States who can do the kind of pediatric surgery he does. Sometimes his surgeries take over 10 hours. They are complex and tense and exhausting. And on those days, you can find Noel standing in a hospital break room crying, uh, praying. Um, he says, clip to the uh, inside door of his surgical locker is a prayer he wrote and prays before and during surgery. He whispers, grant me, O Lord, for your sake, through the work of your Holy Spirit, love for my patient, joy in participating in this work, peace as I follow your lead, patience in the trying times of this case, kindness to all in the room, goodness in this difficult task, faithfulness to have integrity in the details, even when no one else um, but you sees, and self-control that my own sins of anger, anxiety, and vainglory would not mar my judgment. He prays for his patient by name, then scrubs back in and continues surgery. Because he's living to show that God cares about his world, even through what he does. So what does it mean? It, it means you don't have to go to Zimbabwe to be a missionary. You can just go to work. You don't have to translate the Bible into a foreign language to represent Jesus. You can represent Jesus by taking your neighbor a meal because their family member passed away. And as you are doing those things, pray to the Holy Spirit and ask him to help you to share the gospel with them. Because that's why God, you, God put you in that place to begin with, to be his ambassador, to be his representative. So there's a story about 9-11 that I heard um, that I, I hadn't heard before. Um, you know, most of you know that uh, Manhattan, right, uh, the, the island uh, of, of New York City is a very skinny island and, uh, and comes down, uh, down to a point almost like a pencil tip. And the World Trade Center towers are on the, the very south end of the island. Uh, and so um, when the, the planes hit, um, people living in apartments down there and working down there who were south of the towers really had nowhere to go. They had, they had the Hudson River. They had um, uh, to the north the towers. They couldn't go past. Everyone, the only place they could go was south, and even then they couldn't go very far. So people went down to Battery Park, just on the very southern tip uh, of the island, um, still within the shadow, really, of the buildings. If they just fell straight over, they'd just fall right onto to Battery Park. And so people just started congregating uh, in the park. And, uh, and, and as uh, things were transpiring, I mean, they really felt like we are going to die. Uh, some people said that the, they didn't even really, they saw, you, you know, you were so close. Did you see the buildings fall? They said, actually, we didn't see them fall because the, the, uh, the smoke and 
uh, and, and everything got to us so quickly that, um, that, that we couldn't even see it and, or realize what was, what was happening. Um, people were jumping into the water to try to swim to safety. And there are ferries there, um, ferries that take you to, you know, go see the Statue of Liberty and go to Governor's Island. And, um, uh, and so people were starting to get on those ferries and the Coast Guard saw this happening. And so the Coast Guard made a decision. They said, um, they sent out a radio call over the, the general station. They said, all boats, anyone who's around, um, we're going to evacuate South Manhattan. We're going to, we're going to uh, by boat, evacuate um, everything below uh, the World Trade Center. And, uh, and they didn't know what was going to happen. And after about an hour, they looked out on the horizon and they saw boats coming. Um, here's a picture of it. Uh, hundreds of boats, uh, tugboats, party boats, uh, private boats, um, all kinds of, anyone who had something that could float got in it and went to uh, uh, Battery Park to go pick up people uh, and rescue them, uh, at, uh, to evacuate them from Manhattan. Um, it became the largest sea evacuation in history, larger than the Battle of Dunkirk, where 339,000 um, British and French soldiers were evacuated uh, over the course of about nine days. Um, nearly 500,000 people were evacuated from Manha Manhattan in less than nine hours. Uh, the, the captains who were a part of this um, said, it's the greatest thing that I've ever done with my life, to be a part of that. Listen, as great as that is, and it is great, do you know what's even greater? That God wants to use you as part of his divine rescue plan. That you get to be a part of it and play a role in it. That you get to be his ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to the world through us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that even though we lost it all, you did it all. So we get it all. What amazing good news is that? Would you cause that to sink deep down into our souls so that we're motivated and empowered to share that good news with others? What a privilege, Lord, to get to be a part of what you're doing in restoring and reconciling the world to yourself and making all things new. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.